0: Hey, I'm Joseph.
1: <laughs> <God. Okay. clears
2: throat> hey, I'm Joseph. And I'm Steve. We're exploring a simple question. Why do people do what they do?
0: Welcome to Working Title.
2: This, you know, you're at a, you're at a cocktail party. There's the awkward conversation. Uh, how do you answer the inevitable question of, Oh, so what do you do?
3: Uh, yeah. So I usually start with saying that I'm a filmmaker, um, And then usually people look at me and say, okay, sure. But what does that actually mean? You wait tables. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly. Uh, And then I explain to them that I make documentary films. Um, So I guess you could say I'm a documentarian. Um, And it kind of goes from there. Uh, And we, you know, usually people ask me, oh, well, I, they they usually say, I love documentaries. And then they ask me, you know, what kind of documentaries have you worked on? Which I always appreciate that question because I like the fact that people understand documentaries to be more than just documentaries, which mm-hmm. I think is, um, it's pretty important. Uh, I mean, documentaries are a pretty old um, form of filmmaking, but I think that a lot of people just think of documentaries as one kind of thing, a blob of, uh, of films that, um, you know, don't have actors in them that they've seen before. Um,
0: they make you watch in school. for them. What's that? They make you watch in school.
3: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, uh, usually people follow up with what kind of documentaries. And then I have to kind of explain, which is a, even though I appreciate the question, it's a hard question to answer. Um, but I think primarily I work on documentaries that focus on characters, uh, and and it goes from there. So what does
2: uh, so so what does what does that process look like for you? Then, like you know, um, you come across a project that you start to that sparks an interest. Um, you know, take us through that process a little bit
3: of actually working on the films that I work on?
2: Yeah, like in what like yeah, uh what leads to you choosing a particular interest uh as opposed to another?
3: Sure. Uh so uh, a variety of things um probably the biggest factor uh are the creative teams that I work with. Um they uh kind of generate their own uh, content, um, just through various means. Um, so, and, and they will invite me in, into their projects. Uh, when it's a film of my own that I'm directing, uh, it's usually just word of mouth story. Every once in a while, it can be, um, an article that I've read or, uh, a, a news story, uh, you know, an NPR story that I've heard, but for the most part, it is, someone you know telling me a story or explaining that they um heard this weird crazy thing and can you believe this exists (laughs) uh stuff like that that um usually uh catches my interest uh and um I don't usually think about consciously oh that story touches on this and that theme that I'm interested in, it's more just, I think, a natural um, uh, sort of byproduct of of the stories that I'm interested in. Uh, they end up touching on very similar themes. So um, it goes from there. It usually uh, involves me reaching out to whoever is at the center of that story and um, seeing if they're interested in, uh, in actually participating in filming. Um, and sometimes that takes a while to convince someone, uh, that they should be in Yeah, exactly. Yep. Or, um, or sometimes it doesn't, I mean, some, sometimes uh, people are very quick to accept and are flattered by the opportunity to have a documentary made of them.
0: (laughs) Well, like, so I I totally get what you're saying with documentaries. They kind of get, uh, blended together into one category that doesn't really speak to what, you know, it doesn't really create layers to it, that there's the, all these different types, but like documentaries are, are far more popular now than they've ever been because of Netflix and that sort of thing. But still right. e- even, even a film that, I mean, probably just because I know you and, and saw the film and uh, I, I, my assumption was that the leg, leg and grill film would have been something that's widely known that people would just know what it is. But I, I asked somebody literally yesterday talking about who we were going to be recording the podcast with today and they'd never heard of it. And so I guess one give the not elevator pitch, but give this brief synopsis of what that film was. And then how did you come to be a part of that? How did, how did you hear about it and how did you become involved with it?
3: Yeah. So there was, uh, well, I'll tell Yeah, I'll tell you first. The, the story is this man um, who fancies himself kind of a wheeler and a dealer goes to a storage unit auction um, in Maiden, North Carolina, and uh, he purchases this unit. And for anyone who's seen Storage Wars, that's exactly what's taking place here. He, he purchases this unit specifically because he sees this grill at the front of the unit.
0: But he can't really um, see what's in the the unit. He just only sees correct. that there's stuff in it and he's like, "All right, I'm going to bid on this."
3: Yeah, and the rules of those auctions are you can look, you can look in, you can get on your tippy toes and look, try to look all the way to the back, but you cannot go through any of the items. Hmm. So, um So he actually wins the auction. He starts to load all the stuff on. Um, uh, In the film, his description is – and and he again, he purchased this specifically for this grill. He really (laughs) loved this grill. His description is that the grill was the first thing he loaded onto the truck and the first thing he unloaded when he got to his place, which – Um, it's funny because that's impossible. If (laughs) if it's the first thing you load on, it it can't be. Yeah. So anyway, he gets it back. He opens it up. He finds this thing. He thinks it's like a log. Um, it's wrapped up in some mesh wire and he starts to unwrap it. And he discovers that it is a, uh, severed human leg. (laughs) Um, and, uh, and he calls the police because he believes that someone has been murdered and chopped up into pieces. So our, our film actually starts with that 911 call. Um, the police, uh, because it's a small town, know exactly who uh, the leg belongs to, and it's this man that is still alive entirely. And <laughs> he has, he has been keeping his own leg um Sort of as a memento uh, to the accident in which he lost this leg. Uh, and so he says, OK, well, thanks for finding my leg. I'll be up there to collect it. He And uh, he goes to collect it. And the man that bought it in the storage unit auction says, well, if you know, if you were just neglecting this leg, <laughs> then I don't think that you really deserve to own it. Um, and I think I own it fair and square and I'm, I'm going to keep the leg. So they have a dispute over who legally owns the leg. And of course this became kind of like the novelty news story of the hour in 2000. And I believe it was five or six, uh, and it hit international news and, (laughs) uh, and they, um, They, uh, you know, they basically start this legal battle over over who owns the leg. And at that point, a producer uh, that had had some success with uh, a few other documentaries. One of them was called um, King of Kong, Fistful of Quarters, which was about Donkey Kong. Such a great documentary. It's fantastic. Uh, And then another one uh, that he was making at the time, Undefeated, which which actually won the Oscar. Um, He heard this. He overheard someone telling this story uh, to a friend in person, and he actually asked them about it and and um, was connected to the people in the story through that. And he went out to North Carolina. He lived in L.A. uh, and started making the film in 2007. And with a lot of documentaries now that I've been. In the industry, quote unquote, for a couple of years, it just takes a lot of time to get documentaries made. It's, it's pretty difficult process. And so uh, even with a man that had made a very successful, financially successful documentary and one that was being shortlisted and then ultimately nominated for an Oscar, it took a lot of work um, for Ed Cunningham is, is the producer's name to try to get this film off the ground. And it essentially lived and died a couple different times. Um, And uh, it finally found life after he passed it off. He was going to direct the film. He actually passed it off to um, an assistant of his who uh, had aspirations of becoming a director and, and asked if he could give it a shot. So at that point they called me, um, because I was local to the area, and because I was connected to um, Adam Hobbs, who had worked on the film in 2012, they called me at the end of 2013, I believe, and um, I helped them finish make making the film.
0: And and your love of severed limbs, they knew that. Yeah. Yeah. What's <laughs> that? I said that your your known love of severed limbs. The, oh, of course,
3: the, <laughs> of course. That yeah, that's well publicized.
0: That and then yeah. you you get to that point. So from two thousand and seven to th- two thousand and twelve, when you get on board, uh, but you finally make the thing, and it's not like it is a huge success overnight. It it still has to be. You have to do screenings of it all over the place. But didn't it ultimately do really well?
3: Um. It depends on uh, how you measure that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that it it definitely found an audience. Uh, it was released in theaters. It did not do well in theaters. Um, it, it made a fraction of its money back in theaters. I think now that it's been out um, for four years, which I can't believe that it's been that long. That's um, it's you know, it's enjoying kind of a long life. It's not it's not quite maybe it's not quite as much of a flash in the pan as as other films. And it is very quirky. And it is that kind of film that, you know, we had hoped. But I think that it is coming to fruition, that it's kind of like a little bit of a just a oddball that, you know, if you watch it 15 years later, I think it's going to, you know, be hopefully as relevant as if you watched it the day it came out because it's, it's not a, you know, it's, it's really not an issue doc. It's not, um, it's not something that is connected to like a trend or, uh, uh, you know, activism that is, is being pushed at the time um, that ultimately will subside or be, you know, that activism will be, um. You know that will be it'll be victorious or whatever it's more just like a random ass story yeah (laughs) and uh and you know much like king of kong or much like uh who i don't know i can uh hands on a hard body would be a good example of a a very weird story
0: tickled on hbo
3: uh yes it's stuff like that exactly uh i think that it'll enjoy kind of a long life so I think it's a success and and uh i every every person that I talk to that has watched it um at least is smiling when they tell me about you know their experience watching it, so I consider that a a pretty big success
0: oh, it's phenomenal and it's so weird, and the characters i mean it's like very made in North Carolina like just the weirdest set of circumstances, and the kind of people that would fight over a severed leg it's like. <laughs> It's, it's awesome. What, what specifically did you do for, for that film?
3: So they, uh, they had asked me initially to be the cinematographer on the film. Um, and, uh, to go back a little bit, Adam Hobbs, who I mentioned before, he shot a portion of the film in 2012. Um, and they uh, reached out to him when they uh, when they got a little bit of funding very very small amount of funding to to try to shoot a few more days and see if they could keep it alive um, and he was actually living in South Korea at the time because his wife had a job in South Korea so he said no uh, I can't do it um, and he said you should call Tim and he he'll do he'll do a great job well they called me and asked me to do it, I, um, I've just had, I've never had any intention to be a cinematographer. And so I said, well, Adam just needs a little bit more convincing. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> uh, I'm good friends with him. I can, I can make that happen. <laughs> and, uh, and I did, and they were happy about that. So they hired me on as a producer, uh, a, a, basically a local producer at that point. Um, and I kind of bargained my way into a co-producer. So, uh, which was great for me. It was, it was actually what, you know, led me out to Los Angeles because I was, um, they call them line producers or field producers. That was my role. Uh, I coordinated all of the equipment. I made sure that we were staying on budget. I booked all the hotels. Hmm. Uh, you know, I got the rental cars. It's not a very sexy job. But, um, I was able to kind of negotiate my way into a better credit and that gave me access to, uh, the other producers and more of the creative process. Mm. And through that, I met essentially the core creative team behind that film and that, um, you know, I very much enjoyed, I, I felt like I gave good input and, uh, people, um, could see that I was someone that could kind of plug into multiple roles in the filmmaking process, um, and adapt pretty, pretty easily. So, um, they, uh, they essentially like welcomed me in and, um, invited me to work on, uh, the next project. And that's, that's kind of where my career began. I actually quit my job to make finders keepers, um, And that was kind of a big jump and pretty scary. And it's still pretty scary, (laughs) but, uh, but Hmm. it was a good, it was a good decision. I'm glad I did it.
2: Yeah. So when, when's, what's the earliest memory of, of, you know, the desire to be a filmmaker? Uh, When, when was that birthed in you? I mean, were you always kind of attracted to the quirky stories and as a kid or, or how did that develop?
3: I, uh, I actually, the first thing that, I um, remember doing creatively storytelling wise was buying a, a tape recorder. It was like my favorite thing. it cost I think forty dollars from Walmart <laughs> and <laughs> I bought a bunch of tapes and uh, I would record all kinds of crazy stuff. i I really wish I still had these tapes. Uh, I have were no were idea you? where they are. Yeah. Who knows, who knows where they're at. Maybe they're in a box at my parents' house. I don't know.
0: How old were you at that point?
3: Oh, how old was I? Um, I was, I want to say I was maybe nine or 10, (laughs) um, maybe 11. I have this really weird thing with my age. When I was a kid, I, I was homeschooled and I, I like have no ability to like slot in memories. (laughs) So I just don't know. I like most, uh, most stories that I tell, I usually say I was like 11 or 12 and, and, (laughs) um,
2: (laughs) It's a safe, safe zone. (laughs) Yeah.
3: (laughs) So, uh, but I, I love the tape recorder. I would make like these fake documentaries where I'd interview all my friends as like a news reporter. (laughs) Um, I I adapted Star Wars into like a radio drama, uh, (laughs) and I bought the Star Wars uh, soundtrack, and I and I bought another tape recorder so that I could play it
1: into the tape
3: recorder. That and I had like a little. It wasn't a mini fan because those hadn't been invented yet. It was just a very tiny personal fan that you put next to your bed, and it would make your voice sound funny when you talk through it. So that was like the perfect thing for the Darth Vader voice. So um, yeah, I just filled up tapes. Uh, So um, it wasn't necessarily like the visual element that I was interested in. It was more just like the storytelling uh, side of it that I think got me, got me hooked um, pretty early on. And of course that translated into, wanting to buy a, a video camera, which I did when I was 15. And, uh, I started making short films with my friends, which, um, are pretty embarrassing. Um, <laughs> yeah, we, and I counted, I actually counted them. Uh, we started, which is a important distinction to make. We started 72 <laughs> or three <laughs> short films and we finished
0: Four. <laughs> oh, you got a lot, dude. You still have so many of those ideas then that you can adapt. <laughs> yes. You better get to work.
3: Yeah, dude. I I know I have. I had one. We called it. Uh, oh, what do we call it? I can't remember the title of it. But um, it was a dream within a dream within a dream. <laughs> um, it was just the most juvenile idea, <laughs> and. I this is the reason why I think I just don't really like the movie Inception because I'm just like, I mean, <laughs> well, me first and my of all, they stole buddies. your idea. Yeah, ex- well, exactly. <laughs> but then also, it's just kind of a silly idea. I mean,
2: <laughs> what kind of household was it? Was it a creative household? Were you being encouraged in in these uh, seventy two attempts?
3: Uh, oh yes, my my dad. Um, is a home designer, uh, and which is basically an architect. Um, my dad is, is just old enough to be grandfathered in t- um, to becoming an architect, which means he didn't go to architectural school, uh, but he studied under an architect for long enough to be granted um, that license if he were to pass the test. But he's never taken it (laughs) because he hates tests. But uh, so his career um, has been designing houses and he's designed literally um, hundreds and hundreds, probably thousands of houses at this point.
0: That's wow.
3: And he his office when I was a kid was in the basement. And so I would just walk down there and there would just be, you know all these designs, models, and, uh, he called it trash papers. Tracing paper was everywhere and pinned up against the wall. (laughs) Uh, and I, I started drawing kind of to emulate him. Um, and, uh, and I, you know, I was always encouraged to, to do any kind of creative work. Um, and that was emphasized frankly, over like most academic, uh, work. And so I, I, I had a very, like, um, just a big playground, basically, to be as creative as I, as I wanted to be uh, for, yeah, I mean, forever, uh, for my, my whole time uh, living with my parents. Um, and I think that being homeschooled was certainly helped in that regard, because it gave me such freedom. Now, it hurt in a bunch of other ways.
0: Like making uh, eye contact with people and stuff. <laughs>
3: yes, <laughs> just... actually, yeah, that was a thing. That was legitimately a thing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was just being an idiot.
3: <laughs> no, no, you guessed it, man. You guessed it. Uh, yeah, no, I. My dad was always concerned about that, and so he took me to all of his meetings. Oh wow! Which, which uh, was a strange way of you know socializing, but <laughs> I really actually appreciate appreciated it uh and looking back on it, it you know I feel I certainly feel more comfortable in, in meetings than some um just social situations right. so yeah
2: <laughs> so when you announced then that I want to be a filmmaker that was you know some families of course then okay give me backup plan a through d you know because uh how will you actually get a 401k and etc but yours was this was met with uh with encouragement
3: uh it it was for the most part the thing that i was doing before i got into this though was actually working with my dad so i worked with him um i didn't go to college uh and um you know half half the week i regret that and half the other half i don't (laughs) um but uh, I started working with him straight out of high school. And in fact, I, I really started working with him far before I, I graduated high school. Um, and I you know transitioned to working with him full time. I did that for years. Um, and that was my college age years and uh, a few beyond that. Um, the problem, and, and I would have... I certainly would have would still be doing that and just had video as and I and I don't use the word video like um uh lightly. It would have just been video. Mm. Uh video as like a as a hobby. But my dad and I um my I mean my dad renamed his business Grant and Grant from Bill Grant. Like oh, wow. I was I was very involved. I was uh you know, I, I designed, um, you know, I knew CAD. I didn't know all of the structural, um, formulas that he knows, but I knew roughly how uh, a house went together. And so he would take a lot of my ideas and translate them into plans that actually worked. And yeah, I did this until I was 25 years old, um, So for a long time, seven, eight years full time. Um, And I certainly would have continued doing that if it wasn't for the fact that we were a very small business, two uh, designers and then an accountant uh, and office manager and 2007 and 2008, which Uh. basically just, uh, you know, destroyed our business. And we had friends that had, Uh, architectural firms that had 60 uh, employees and they went down to like seven employees. Wow! Um, And, you know, we're in, we're in a market in Western North Carolina near Asheville that um, is dependent on luxury homes. So, um, I mean, these people certainly still had money in 07 and 08. They just didn't want to spend it on, you know, their vacation home essentially, which is what we designed mostly. Hmm. So our our business um, couldn't afford for me to stay, and I had picked up. Uh, I don't. Again, I don't want to use the word f- filmmaking. I had picked up video as a hobby, and um, and I was getting paid professionally for it on the weekends, doing weddings and concerts and whatever else. Uh, and in, in that time I transitioned, I was, I was given an opportunity, which I am so appreciative of, uh, working for an educational technologies company in Asheville, North Carolina called Sumo learning. And they hired me full time. Um, and that's when it started. I, I was a one man video department <laughs> and, uh, and I, and I kind of left, left behind the, uh, the family business, which is still painful, but, um, you know, I, 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 I certainly was more passionate about filmmaking than I was about, um, designing homes. Uh, although the satisfaction of designing a home, uh, is, is very unique and I certainly miss it.
0: Hmm. So So, how do how do you get to Charlotte then?
3: So, oh, and to sorry to answer your question more directly, uh, the previous question I gave you such a long answer. Um, I, I, my dad and my mom encouraged me in 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 anything I wanted to do. But that said, like the roots that I had um, that I had to kind of like pull up in um, my dad's business uh, was pretty painful. So transitioning to like video and and filmmaking was encouraged, but, um, it wasn't without it's, uh, you know, not contention, but it was, it was kind of, uh, a little bit with a tear (laughs) that it happened. Um, so, uh, and, and then to get to Charlotte. So I, the problem with Asheville for me and for, Any career beyond just being a video guy at an educational technologies company, which was ironic that I was working at an educational technologies company anyway, because I was the only person on staff that didn't have um, a college degree. Like I didn't even have an AA. So uh, and I still don't. Um, So um, I knew that I needed to have colleagues, filmmaking colleagues. And I was unable to establish any any of those in, in Asheville. Now, Asheville has a set of working filmmakers and professionals that I know now and, and um, I'm friends with and I appreciate their work and they're all great. But breaking into that scene, which was pretty established as kind of like this random kid uh, video guy on on staff at a company downtown, um, was just not going to happen. And, and for good reason, like there was a little bit more of a ladder to climb. So I had some friends that had moved to Charlotte, um, and I knew, uh, through them, another set of people, um, you know, more video and, and film, uh, industry people. And so I asked if I could work remotely, um, for, for this company, Sumo, uh, and they and you know they were very encouraging. So we moved to, I got married in um, 08, and we moved to Charlotte in 09, and I continued to work for that company until I quit to make Finders Keepers in 2013.
0: Oh, wow, um, I didn't realize that. And you were still doing yeah. a little bit of stuff on the side, right, when you were in Charlotte?
3: Yes, definitely, I, and... You know, that's and and I, you know, I really uh, I should say that I appreciate anyone who hires me because it's uh, it's kind of what you have to work with with me is that I always have like too many things going on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm always doing like too many projects and I can't seem to say no. Uh, I'm trying to get better, but it's not really working out. So I. I'm always working on, you know, projects on the side. And, um, sometimes that's just a freelance thing. Sometimes it's a passion project. Um, it continues to this day. Uh, in fact, a lot of people, Joseph didn't even know that I worked for a company. Um, like, uh, you, you aren't the only person that said, I, I didn't realize that you worked for someone, um, that's that's a pretty standard reaction to a lot of a lot of friends that I have in Charlotte.
0: Well, yeah, I just every time I saw you, I think my earliest memory is walking in Central Coffee and you meeting. And this may be embarrassing, but what you've become is so much more than this that who cares? Is you were meeting with some like parent with a 15-year-old girl that was doing a music video. Do you remember that? Oh yes. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh.
3: So like that was so great.
0: You just I mean obviously just do whatever you can to pay the bills at at one point. But then at like farther into it, then I remember you coming in whenever you were doing some sort of stop motion animation thing or claymation yes. or something. And yes. you, I'm like, "What what have you been doing?" You're like, "I've been moving clay." Like microscopically for the last sixteen hours, and I just need to come in and get one sip of coffee to wake up. <laughs>
3: yes, uh, yeah, this is what I'm. This is what I'm saying. Like, I really need someone to help me, like, manage uh, these decisions that I'm making. What, what am I thinking?
1: What
2: is it? You just uh, can't say no, or it's just your interest jump. Uh,
3: well, I think that. Um, to to be frank about it in charlotte it it was a little bit of i'll do anything Mm right um so and both those projects that you mentioned like were were really important projects for me um to to be able to learn uh you know things about the process in each uh so I, i don't i don't have many projects that i regret doing um I I try really hard if I am miserable in them I try really hard to like figure out what I can avoid for the next one mm-hmm. um but yeah you know both both of those like the the claymation project came from an artist who's become a good friend of mine named Alex Lambert and she uh was uh in residence um at the McCall Center and she had an idea to make a stop motion. And I had made a couple of stop motions in the past um, for Sumo. And uh, well, I made one for Sumo and then another one for another company. And uh, I said, yeah, I'll, I'll give it a shot. And I thought it would take a couple of months. <laughs> and it in, ended up taking almost exactly a year. Wow. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um,
0: and isn't that and- just insanely tedious?
3: Yes, I didn't really know what I was getting into. I mean, even though I had done two before, I wanted to try something and I didn't realize just how hard it was uh, and just how little I knew and, and just how much expertise you really needed to have to do it efficiently. Um, so in the time frame that I thought it would take me to do it, it that is about the Time it took me to build the puppet and the set, <laughs> uh-huh. and I hadn't even started animating. So, um, and was, any, yeah, you
2: spent a it year, was, uh, and then what was it like a 30 second film, or or what? How long was the project?
3: It's just under three minutes, so it's pretty long. Um, and uh, and um, the thing about it is that you know, in, in animation. Uh, you can you have a you know a set of pictures that, that move the character right, and in in a second typically you you take twelve pictures, and that's what I'd done in the past. And this animation, I decided, very naively, that I wanted to take twenty four pictures, <laughs> which is which is the amount of frames that are in like um, you know any kind of any film that you watch there are 24 frames in a second. Hmm. And uh, I wanted to see, you know, if I could do it, I wanted to see what it would look like and what kind of expressions, you know, I could get out of my little character and uh, yeah, I immediately regretted it, but (laughs) I, there was no going back. Uh, So, I mean, and it was just things like that. You don't expect like, okay, so you're taking 24 pictures of this character moving, incrementally um per second and you have these many you, this many seconds um you're gonna have to rebuild the character like 10 times
0: that's insane man <laughs> so, How
3: long so did... i'd have to like you know tighten all of the characters <laughs> little screws inside and then wow. which means i had to pull off all the clay and then put it back on and then re- you know so um yeah don't
0: but the reason, the reason it took you that long is not just that you said yes to a project that you wouldn't have. It's that you have to be something of, of a perfectionist because, and ambitious because you didn't have to do 24 frames a second. You didn't have to make it look like it did. So what, what drives you to do that? What, what makes you say, I'm not just going to do this as a project to do it, but to like do it extremely
3: yeah, I'm the more the older I get, the more I'm convinced that it's just masochism.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you just need to be tortured by something at all yeah, times.
3: Yeah, I just need to feel like I'm fighting against something. Huh. Uh, and yeah, uh, I wish I was joking. It's it's becoming more clear to me <laughs> the older I get. Um, I mean, I'm pr- I'm proud of that piece. Uh, that was gorgeous and uh yeah thank you so much i i am glad that i did it and you know if i were ever to direct a a stop-motion film i i know my stuff like i know what i'm talking about to a degree that i think that a lot of other directors probably don't um that jump into that world um so i i'm glad but you know that may never happen i I don't know it might be a might be a skill set that i never use um but, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I really don't know. I, I could have easily taken half the amount of pictures and it would have been fine.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Is that something that's interesting to you as to like things that keep you motivated to work? Is it, is there some part of it that's the newness of learning something new like stop motion for instance, that makes you, I want to get all the way to the bottom of this and not just, not just pull it off, but do it extraordinarily well. Is, that, is there something thrilling about that?
3: Oh, definitely. Um, uh, yeah, I... You know, when I was younger, um, I, I loved Legos. And, and uh, you know, listening to, like, interviews with um, creatives, I, I've since learned that a lot of people share that, you know, just, like, trying to figure out, like how these pieces could go together to create something new. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, I think that mixed with just a general curiosity of, of how things work. Um, Yeah, I think that, and honestly, that applies really well to documentary and that's probably why I've stayed in it longer than I've done anything else um, is that every project is this, world that you can kind of sink into and try to um you know learn as much as you can uh about and and try to like find the things that interest you or the ways that it connects to you or your past um and and you I, have to I become
0: obsessed with that. it like you have to fully immerse yourself into whatever world you're going to be making a film about
3: absolutely absolutely and and sometimes. Um, and most recently it's become like pretty difficult because a lot of those worlds are very dark. So, uh, yeah, some like, um, uh, some self health stuff, uh, gets into play, but yeah, you you have to, you have to really dig in. You have to like really get obsessed, um,
0: and follow your hunches and stuff.
3: Yes, definitely. Def all all of that applies. I mean, I, yeah, I think that uh, that's another thing the older that I get the the more you know, the more I can trust like my gut reaction to things. Um, and, you know, the more I guess of a sample size sample size you have to figure out if your gut was right. Hmm.
0: It, yeah. Is there anything that you are able to talk about the current project that you're in the middle of? Cause you're a few years, a couple of years into it, right?
3: Yeah, sure. I can talk about it a little bit. Uh, so, I, um, my, my friend and colleague Clay Twiel, who co-directed Finders Keepers, um, he, uh, this is now a little over two years ago, uh, while we were working on another project together, he said, I have this film that I want to make, um, you know, I think that I can get some funding for it. Uh, and it's about the opioid epidemic. Um, and he said, do you, do you want to work on it? And I said, yes, of course. Um, he's, he's a fantastic director and I've enjoyed working with him in the past. So I signed on and it's the first documentary that I've signed on to as a full producer from the beginning. So um, it's something that I'm pretty uh, excited about for that reason. Um, uh, And uh, it is looking at the opioid epidemic from a pretty holistic perspective. Um, We have a couple of different characters that kind of guide us through. But um, But it's not from the
0: perspective of... Uh, an addict, a single addict, or something like that's that. That's correct. But more of yeah. the whole problem.
3: That that's right. Uh, not to say that you know films that have been done that have looked at a specific um, story of addiction aren't addressing the entire problem. Sure. Um, but uh, we we kind of faced this question early on in deciding what kind of film we want to make. Is if if you. If you want to prioritize the problem and try to get to the bottom of the reasons why this exists, um, then it's very hard to mix in intimate and individual stories of addiction because they uh, just sort of like by default represent um, in that scenario the entire problem, which is completely unfair. Now, I mean, it, is, it is true that the stories of addiction, they they share a lot of um, commonalities, but that's not, um, that's, you know, we just felt like it was, it was probably not the best way of going about it was including these specific stories. And in, in addition to that, there are so many films that look at um, stories of addiction and a lot of different news um you know, different news outlets that have looked at it as well. So, uh, so we decided to just do something a little bit different than we had seen. Um, and we started two years ago following a couple of different stories, um, looking at, uh, some of the legal battles that are taking place, which are taking place all over the country. Uh, and, um, and yeah, it's resulted in me spending, um, a tremendous amount of time in West Virginia, Ohio, a little bit of time in Florida. Uh, and it's been, uh, it's been a pretty intense <laughs> two years of my life. Wow. Uh, and, and we have another year left. So, what,
0: um, What's insane about it is to me is that there's other mediums that, because knowing what you've been doing for the last two years, I've obviously like been very interested in, in noticing what's coming out about that, the whole epidemic. And w- with the medium of a documentary, because let's, let's say you finish in a year, well, then you've got to edit it, and it's in the whole process of that, and then it's got to either get picked up or not get picked up, and screenings and all this stuff. So some impulse for an idea that happened, you know, years and years and years ago doesn't come to fruition in any real way for so long and so there's all these stories that are coming out now. It doesn't it's not doing what you guys are attempting to do, but is that a tough part of it is to be in the middle of a like an impossibly long process and not be able to like speed it up, seemingly to get to have the the aha moment that you want before it comes out mm. in some other way.
2: Yeah, especially in the social media culture where Twitter is the new, you know, news feed and everything is just popping so quick.
3: Yeah, no, it's a great question. I think that it actually applies more to me professionally for the other work that I do than it does to this story. Hmm. I mean, it's a challenge for anyone to work on, you know, something for a couple of years and then, you know, transition to the next project. So that's something that I have to think about because I am a freelancer. You know, how am I going to go from project to project? And if I kind of fall off people's radars for that long, it's a challenge. When it comes to this the story that we're telling, um it's it's never really been a, a factor because of the information that we know, because of what the story that we're telling we know can do Hmm. and how it will apply um no i i feel like uh what we have will be timely when it comes out
0: yeah 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 well and it's developing as you do it so you're you're telling the story as it's i guess as it's happening that's uh yeah
3: that's that's right and and you know it's um it's very it's very different than like uh for instance i just watched the uh the fire festival documentary yeah, that yeah. netflix made mm-hmm. um and i haven't seen the one that hulu made i don't I know if either, you guys yeah. know yeah yeah okay yeah, so, yeah uh, just fascinating that two people you know two sets of filmmakers <laughs> were making two different films about the same thing i can't imagine what that would be like that would be i would be so stressed out um i I think that, and especially as something, I mean, forgive me, but as something as frivolous as the fire festival. Right. <laughs> like, I mean, I, lo- I loved it because, and I again, I watched the Netflix one. I loved it because it touched on like kind of, you know, our current status uh, with when it comes to social media and all that. And just like image and
0: celebrity. Such a caricature that, of it, the whole thing.
3: Yeah, and it 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 touches on so many great themes about those things. So it's certainly like bigger than the Fire Festival. But my point is that the story, like the the content is pretty frivolous. Um uh that's kind of what it's about, I guess. And yet uh, it still
0: took a super long time to make and money, and then come to find out there's somebody else doing the exact same totally, thing. Totally. Yeah. Oh, it's totally. brutal.
3: But when it comes to the opioid epidemic and and I've said this from the beginning, you know, something will come out and we'll, you know, maybe it does touch on like in the small part, something that we've been working on for years. Um, And my perspective has been like, okay, good. Like people need to know about this stuff. It doesn't really matter how it gets to them. Um, I think that the more stories we tell, uh, and and the more attention we can shine on this the the better like hopefully we can take like this giant mechanism that we have now in the world of social media and you know media attention and and try to actually like change terrible things like this from happening again um which uh which would be a great result and i hope that our film is is a part of that
0: does this project have a special thing for you in terms of like, uh, being able to fully put yourself into it because it has such an overt purpose of doing good, like exposing something that needs exposing?
3: Um, I mean, I think that if I took a minute and thought about it, maybe. But uh, usually I'm a little bit too in the weeds of like trying to get the thing that I need to get done done you know, before it's too late. <laughs> yeah. So it's, I don't, I don't usually go there with that. And then also I think that it is like, it's probably a more dangerous place to go to mentally while you're making something like staying focused on, you know, the, the X's and O's of it is, Just the is yeah, I think that that's what I would prefer. So even if, Yeah. Even if I was conscious of that, I'd probably try to like push that down.
1: Hmm.
3: Yeah. I mean, it's cool. And, and I would love to say that it's, you know, the film could be, like I said, hopefully the film helps, um, prevent this from happening. The fact is that we're telling a story of a tragedy that's already happened. Yeah. So it's not really going to help anymore. Um, In fact, we're we're telling the stories of people that are, you know, making a difference to the epidemic. Uh, It's not really that our film will be the one that makes a difference to the epidemic. We're Mm -hmm. a couple of years behind. Mm -hmm. Um, What hopefully it will do is is, you know, expose some of these like practices that have happened in America, unfortunately, multiple times Mm -hmm. um, that led to this. Uh, and I think that that's probably the best that it could do. But, you know, we'll we'll finish it first and see what happens from there.
2: Do you think documentaries uh, – can you think of an example that uh, has become an instrument to change once uh, – or for the change that it was seeking? Uh, you know, just sometimes it seems like we're overwhelmed, like the market is saturated with – whether it's conspiracy theories or whatever, um, that do people pay attention? Um, I, well, I guess see the Sea World documentary would be a good example. Yeah,
3: exactly. That's what the one I was going to bring up. Blackfish, I think. Yeah, you know, really changed. I mean, it. I, I wish I had the you know the the stats in front of me of like how much it's changed that. Um, it massively that affected
0: their bottom line. Yeah.
3: Absolutely. You know, uh, there there have been other examples like um, Errol Morris has made films in the past that have certainly changed things. They, they've opened cases back up and or he's he's discovered new evidence. Um, there are there are a host of, you know, like criminal justice documentaries that have done something like that. Um, yeah, I think that it, it can happen. Uh, And, you know, it's definitely cool to be a part of an industry that that kind of thing, you know, does take place, Um, which I think is, you know, in some ways opposite of a lot of other industries. Right. (laughs) Yes. Which, you know, it's it's more the point of like, what can you get away with? Yeah. So are you already
2: thinking of I know you've got a lot of more more work to do on this one, but are you already thinking about what's next? Uh, Like, are you thinking? uh i could really use a lighter topic you know <laughs> yeah, or... <laughs> yes
1: <laughs> <laughs>
3: yes definitely yeah i mean the the funny thing is that uh you know while this is going on i mean the the opioid film is a is essentially going to be a 3 year project um which really in the scheme of documentaries isn't too too bad uh and, and I have, of course, taken on like other projects during this time, um, and the the project that I took on as uh, a director, as a co-director, you know, I was I was hoping for something a little lighter, but sometimes you just don't get what you want. <laughs> um, but my uh, my good friend Andy McMillan, who lives in Charlotte, found a, uh, this amazing story um, while he was on a shoot in Memphis, Tennessee. And uh, he met this guy who um, immediately told Andy his life story at this bar. And he said, you know, I was given three months to live um, and I gave up everything, sold everything, bought a houseboat and I'm floating down the Mississippi River until I die. (laughs) And, uh, And Andy called me the next day, and he said, "I think that I have a documentary. Uh, we should make it together. And in two and a half weeks, we were on the Mississippi River on the man's houseboat. Oh, I saw those and
0: pictures. I didn't know what you guys were doing. That's awesome. That's
3: yeah. That's what we were doing. The thing is that it, you know, on the surface, it's a very inspirational story of this man that kind of takes." You know authority of his life in this beautiful way the last days he has on earth and of course you know um the story is more than that and so there are certainly like more challenging uh, elements to it um and so yeah the the story that i end up kind of um pursuing in the midst of a very dark story it was a little darker than it looked to be on the surface. Uh, <laughs> so that's I nuts. can't seem to. Yeah.
0: I, I had a, we, when we, uh, moved in the middle of my high school to, uh, to Ohio, we lived directly on the Ohio river. And, yeah. uh, one day we were at dinner and my dad went down to a little spot down by the river that he would go. <laughs> and he said, there's this, you need to come out here and look at, there's this makeshift boat out here. And it was, I mean, it was big, but it was just very oddly cobbled together. There was like realty signs that were patched into it and nailed into it. And this guy, (laughs) this guy had this houseboat that he had 100% made from scratch and was floating down the Ohio river. It had absolutely no motor of any kind on it. And really. so he tied it, yeah, he tied it off and uh, and came up and had dinner with us, and then he like, as I remembered, I think he got it somehow towed out of the the water and stepped in the parking lot beside our house, which was like where people would park if they were gonna put in on the boat ramps, and uh, he stayed there for like it feels like a few weeks, and would have dinner with us, and we called him Riverboat Ron or something. No, that's uh, no. That's, that's the coach of the Panthers. It was riverboat something we called him. And, and then just one day he was gone and that was it. That's, that's so bizarre though. Is that like a common impulse that I didn't know about? I've never heard of anyone else doing that.
3: Yeah, no, I hadn't either until your story. So I, how old were you?
0: Uh, 16 or 17. So I, I have to call my parents after this and ask them about that. I remember there was just a very odd guy that was eating dinner with us. That's the like lasting memory that I have of it. It's very that odd. That is amazing. Yeah. That is
3: amazing. Yeah. Maybe you can track this guy down.
0: If, if, if I watch that documentary and it's the same guy, I'm going to freak out. That would be amazing. Yeah.
3: That would be <laughs> – that would break it open. I mean – yeah. You would immediately become a, a co-producer and we would have like the most amazing story on our hands. All right.
0: I'm going to, we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll do that offline.
3: Okay. All right. Great.
0: <laughs> so
2: how do you speak to, you know, things like inspiration and and purpose and, and all these kinds of things when it comes to, to being a creative and, and being an artist? Um, those things that you think about um, a, a lot are those things that motivate you a lot or you know are you just more about doing the work uh,
3: I, I guess I don't really think about them too much um, I mean I think that motivation and in, in what was the other word you use inspiration yeah or purpose um, I I mean, I I try very hard to work on projects that I can feel good about getting behind. Uh, And I guess that has made my career a little bit complicated. Um, I mean, I'm not great at selling things. (laughs) Uh, I kind of wish I was, um, but I, you know, if I don't, if I don't like something, I just, I can't. I can't really fake it. Right. And, uh, and it's, it's made it, you know, it complicated for me. Um, so that, I guess that might be as much as I really like think about it. Uh, I, I try really hard not to be, um, I guess I try really hard not to, to think too highly of what I'm doing. Like I, I, rather not like think about my work or the industry I'm in or documentaries in general as like being better than other things. Um, Which is not
2: normally the case if we're honest about the industry.
3: Uh, yeah, probably not. I mean, you know, being in Los Angeles working on documentaries is, is really strange and it's kind of opposite of what I think some people think of it as like Documentaries in, in L.A. are sort of like this weird little byproduct of of Hollywood. Yeah. And to be a viable doc filmmaker in, in, in L.A., you kind of still have to prove that you have like some like market value, um, which is very different, different than New York. Um, where I think New York, it's a little bit more of like, um, you know, uh, uh, an artistic pursuit, you know, right. and, and to that degree, it might be a little bit, you know, uh, I guess, sexier to be uh, struggling with that artistic pursuit. Right. And in L.A., it's really like, are, you know, is your film successful? And and I think that that's a decent question to ask. Like I really I there are pros and cons to each way and I'm not looking down on either one. Sure. Um I just think that uh you know suffering just to suffer is is not really that doesn't get you much attention in LA where um Whereas, like, I I know that there's like more of an appetite for that in New York because that's part of its history, you know, as an artist, you know, so um, so yeah, I I don't know. I mean, all that is to say that uh, it's still an industry, you know. There are still like pockets of the industry that kind of create their own culture, um, and uh, I think that sometimes like meaning and purpose and all these things like get used but they when it gets right down to it like it's still like you're still trying to like make a living doing work you know right yeah yeah um i don't know if that answered your question no it did yeah i have to work these things out um for myself a lot of times and and to be honest i don't um have a ton of conversations surrounding the topic so um Right. Yeah, if it's convoluted, <laughs> I apologize. No,
2: not at all. Your, your wife is a writer,
3: correct? That's right.
2: Yeah. Do you guys, I mean, is that, um, it, how do I ask it? Do you guys, I mean, do you guys talk about the work um, a lot? Do you guys work on joint projects together? And is it part of, uh, I guess part of the question is, is there life outside of this work?
3: Oh, yeah. Oh, you should, I mean, you should ask her. Um, <laughs> she, she probably has a, a good answer for that. I'm really, I mean, I'm very bad about not doing anything else and not talking about anything else. So um, uh, I think she's much better at it, much better at dividing it up. Yeah. Um, and, and I am pretty obsessive. Uh, and, um, I mean, just last night I was... Yeah. I was working late uh, and it was the weekend, you know? So, um, yeah. And yeah, it's a pretty, it's a pretty constant, it's a pretty constant thing. I'm, I'm bad about taking breaks.
2: Is that more, is that more personality or is that more about the work? Like, is that, is that the way you approached home design or anything else that you were doing? Um, or is it more about you have found the thing that you want to uh, spend a lot of your time doing?
3: Uh, I think it's probably, um, a mix of, um, just staying on top of your story, uh, you know, managing all of the different components of the job and then, uh, frankly, making enough money at documentary to survive, which means you have to like do multiple things at a time. Hmm. So um, that's uh, that's certainly a part of it. Uh, and and usually for me, the reason that I have work is I uh, have managed to learn various um, elements of the process. And so I get hired to be different. I, I get hired in different roles for different projects. so. I end up having to kind of break my brain apart to do each job, uh, and um, and that takes quite a bit of time and effort. So.
2: Yeah, very good. So we've got uh, uh, just some kind of random questions here. We want to sure. we want to throw your way. I know your day to day in in the film industry is very different um, depending on on the day and what the the schedule is, but. Do you have a, do you have a routine that you hold to whether it's mornings or evenings or um, what, what does, what does that look like for
1: you?
3: I, uh, I try to have a routine. Um, My work takes me out of town. Um, Actually, I'm out of town the majority of, of my year. So when I am in a hotel, I actually am better at having a routine. Yeah. (laughs) And, um, that routine usually involves like some form of exercise. Um, I try very hard to get seven hours of sleep and I, uh, try to drink a hot beverage, uh, before I go to sleep. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
3: And then I am pretty addicted to coffee. Yeah. Do you miss Central? I miss sitting there and seeing (laughs) and knowing everyone that walks in and saying hello and, you know, wasting uh, time uh, talking about random things all day long.
0: (laughs) People like me. Wasting time is the wrong way to put it. Oh, no, I Uh, wasted your time. I'd make you take your headphones (laughs) off and... Hey, I know you're doing something super important. Can we talk about fantasy football for 40 minutes, please?
3: <laughs> oh, I loved it. It was the best. So
2: whose work do you look at um, and get jealous that it's not yours?
3: Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I, I get jealous of um, – this is a weird one but I find myself very jealous of Stanley Tucci and I have no delusions of ever being an actor. And maybe that's part of the reason <laughs> I, I think that uh, he has directed some of my favorite movies and they are clearly from like a place of incredible experience as an actor. And, I just know that I'm never gonna get there. So I'm jealous of that. <laughs> Have you
2: done any acting?
3: Uh none that will ever see the live day. Well 72 films. Well, that's true. Yeah. <laughs>
0: how how dare you? Those those aren't on IMDB, are they? <laughs> oh no. Tomorrow they will be.
2: <laughs> so oh, man. so Okay you're a filmmaker and and that uh, you know those that has kind of a, a caricature or whatever sometimes so surprise us what what are you into that um, kind of breaks stereotypes or breaks uh, the mold what would we be surprised to like maybe a guilty pleasure or something that you're almost even embarrassed uh, to admit Taylor Swift or <laughs> something like that. <laughs>
3: Uh, and en- embarrassed to in- admit
1: that's,
3: uh, that's a tough one. I mean, I, my hobbies are like really sort of old man. Um, I like golf, uh, which is kind of embarrassing, I guess. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I like, I like, um, uh, bicycle touring, yeah um i enjoy uh go-karting like (laughs) you know not your gatlinburg tennessee go-karts but like you know some real go-karts
0: some serious karting
3: yeah some serious (laughs) karting yeah (laughs) um yeah i yeah i don't know uh that's yeah I, i mean yeah golf and golf and bicycle touring i think of as like quintessential like old man hobbies and um they're my they're my favorite things to do
2: i love it and the go-karts keep you young
3: well the go the go-karts when i have like an extra 40 or 50 bucks which is rare then i'll i'll uh jump in a go-kart and spend eight minutes or whatever it costs uh so yeah i I love i do love go-karting but i don't do it as much as i as i like i got really into it for like no joke guys for like four weeks. And I, and then I, and then I was like, Oh my gosh, I've spent $285. Yeah.
0: I think that is part of a a very interesting thing is like, people want to know if you, what's it going to be like if you pursue your dreams, quote unquote, it's like, I think it was Krista Tippett that asked the poet, Mary Oliver, uh, how did you do it in those early 15 years before you were, widely published and she just said oh well I was just extremely poor just it's real easy I just just didn't have one dollar to my name so I think I think that's funny for people to hear probably that you are a filmmaker and you have these credits and working on all these stuff and all this stuff and 40 dollars is like oh I can't waste 40 bucks on doing (laughs) something that I deeply love
3: oh yes no I and, and that's, I mean, that's, that's fine with me. I, I'm fine with that. I, it is so, it is really, really hard. It's really challenging and I don't want to like make that into like a, whoa, whoa is me. and sure. I'm poor, poor, poor Tim, you know, I mean, I'm, you know, gosh, I'm still, I'm a still white man in America, so it's going to be all right. <laughs> um, and, and there's a whole set of problems, you know, with associated to that, obviously, but Yeah, I you know, uh, but you know, I think that, and I'm not the most positive person. I'm very often, extremely negative and grumpy, and, (laughs) um, but I would certainly prefer like pursuing something that, I hope will last and that fulfills me at the very least, um, creatively than, uh, than. you know, idolize other things. Um, so I, I do my very best doing it. I just hope that I am not too much of a jerk to everyone around me cause I have no money. <laughs> well, um. when, you look, when
2: you look back, I mean, you just, you want to be proud of this, of the things that you've, you've done, you know? So, um, so give us a recommendation, book, podcast, maybe something you're watching on Netflix, uh, something something that you recommend
3: uh, All right. This is, this is a good one um, well, okay, so I've been doing this uh, this ten day movie challenge where you post on Instagram, you know hmm. uh, your ten, the, the ten movies that inspired you to make movies I just posted my ninth one and it's only taken me about forty eight days to do that <laughs> so I failed the challenge but um but my ninth movie is probably the movie that I can recommend the highest and um I'll pull it back into Stanley Tucci it's this movie called Big Night huh. and a lot of people haven't seen it and uh I just think it's fantastic
0: I really really <laughs> wish that you would have said like meet the Fockers or something <laughs> just like <laughs> <laughs> uh
3: um man yeah but now that you mentioned that i would i would like to rewatch that
0: Uh, yeah no yeah i'm not i'm not above any of that stuff um and then (laughs) the last thing which we stole from pete holmes podcast and we don't care is tell us the time that you uh laughed the hardest or the last time you laughed till you cried it can be anything and it doesn't have to be a funny like a good story or something
3: okay yeah uh um so let's see what was this okay yeah i was trying to remember the story that I, was, I, I have this memory of laughing very hard with my family around the table at thanksgiving a couple years back and i couldn't remember the story that we were telling but um, the story was was this i'll try to make it quick because I can't make stories yeah. like unnecessarily <laughs> long. But I, w- uh, my uncle was getting married in Colorado. My entire family, for some reason, was driving together from North Carolina to Colorado.
0: That's a bad plan already. My- yeah.
3: Terrible plan. I was <laughs> 17. I was 17 years old, 16 or 17. 12. I was I very- think. <laughs> yeah, 12, 11 or 12. Uh, and I was. And I had uh, a learner's permit. I did not even have a driver's license. So I must have been 16 because I think I was six months behind in getting my driver's license. And my uh, my aunt was pregnant with twins. <laughs> and for some reason, my family decided that it was going to be my job with the learner's permit <laughs> to drive her. Wow. That's <laughs> Across the country, while the rest of our family was in another vehicle.
0: Oh, so many bad plans.
3: So many, so many bad plans. (laughs) Um, I really, I really don't understand why it was me that had to drive, but I drove the entire way. Wow. (laughs) Uh, And... (laughs) And my aunt is a beautiful, wonderful person, but she's very dramatic. This is like a characteristic that everyone knows pretty quickly after meeting her. And uh, so, and then she's, you know, and it's the summertime. On top of that, she's pregnant with twins. Summertime, dramatic. I'm driving her. <laughs> my dad is leading the pack. We have these radios that we bought at like Kmart. They they don't work.
0: Cause you were homeschooled. And
3: yeah, <laughs> and we can't. We we have to shop at Kmart. Um, and there, we're going th- through Kansas, uh, and there is this lane that's, um, under construction, uh, and it's been under construction since like 1978. Like it's the <laughs> only way that they can like generate revenue in this area is to like put a construction zone and up the, you know, speeding tickets. And my dad is kind of a worrier and he wants to exit cause he has to get gas, and it's Kansas this the, a lot of distance between the exits so he decides um, because he's worried that there won't be a coned off exit off ramp he decides that he's going to go through the cones into the construction <laughs> lane and i am 16 years old and i i only know to follow my father <laughs> So I do the same thing. I do almost like emergency lane maneuver into the construction lane. And uh, here comes the exit. Of course, there is a coned off lane for the exit. So now we're we're coned in <laughs> to this lane. My dad uh, sees a gap between the semi truck that is next to me and the next car. So he speeds up an emergency lane maneuvers over to the open lane and so he's now he's out of the construction lane and he's left me in the construction (laughs)
1: lane
3: (laughs) and uh at about at this point my aunt starts to (laughs) to narrate what is happening and she is identifying all the dangers to me (laughs) you have
0: a learner's permit right (laughs)
3: i have a learner's permit (laughs) so and she sees the cones and they're the cones they aren't the like the triangular cones i say cones they're not even really cones they're like the the dividers that are like drilled into the pavement that are really tall you know Uh uh-huh and they're they're not steel but they're like hard plastic right and uh and so she sees them kind of like on the horizon and she starts to say, and, Oh, and by the way, everyone calls me Timmy. No one calls me Tim. Everyone calls me Timmy in my family. So she says, Timmy, the cones. She's like, says it kind of s- soft, but serious. And then she looks next to us and there's the semi truck. And then she's like, Timmy, the semi truck. <laughs> And the impl- implication is you need to speed up and change lanes. There's no way else to do this. So I start to speed up now. And as I'm going faster, her narration of these dangers in- also increases. <laughs> it's just like the, the cones, the semi truck, <laughs> the cones, semi-truck <laughs> we're, going, we're going faster to the to the point where i there's no like even if i could get over we're going so fast that our van would probably just immediately go into like a tumble <laughs> and uh i just plow over the cones as my aunt is screaming to the top of her lungs. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Better than the semi-truck. Yeah, oh yeah. yeah.
3: Yeah. And uh and immediately after that, I mean you could feel the cones like bouncing up underneath the, the van, you know, it's just uh-huh. like you're tearing the guts out of the van. <laughs> <laughs> and uh she stopped screaming and I didn't say a word the whole time. And <laughs> And then there's a kind of a pause. And then she says, that wasn't as bad as I thought. it <laughs> <could be." laughs>
0: After dead serious. Yeah. I love my, that.
3: I've told that story so many times to my family. It's kind of become a holiday story, but last time, last time we told it, it was people were crying. And I was also, I was also crying. <laughs> Cause I can see her. She was also leaned forward kind of like, you know, on kind of on top of her pregnant stomach, you know?
2: (laughs) So how old are the twins?
3: Oh, well that would tell us exactly how long ago this was. Um, they are 16. They were, she was pregnant. Okay. So it must've been, so I must've been, I must've been 17 then.
2: So they are just now getting their learner's permits. That's right. That is true. Twins. That is true.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome.
3: Yeah. Yep.
0: Well, bud, Um, thank you so much for doing this. And I, you know, just since it's recorded, I'll say it, uh, what I would say to you anyway, I just respect what you do so much and I'm a huge fan and I can't wait to see how this documentary is going to come out. But, I think that there's going to be. Uh, I just am so convinced that you're going to do unbelievable things with your career, and I uh, just look up to you a lot and uh, really appreciate you.
3: Oh, thanks so much. No, thank you so much for asking me. This has been fun, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to uh, hearing uh, more episodes of the podcast here.
0: Awesome, man. Well, we'll talk soon.
3: All right, great. Thanks, thanks, guys. All right, thank you. It.
0: All right, see you, bud.